0: Welcome back to New York Currents, this is Mantis Glenn. Jewish education has always been the key to Jewish survival. Overcoming great adversity and widespread disbelief, selfless pioneers built great institutions of Jewish learning out of the ashes of the Holocaust. They have served our community for decades and we owe them our deepest gratitude. Sadly though, for many families, a mainstream yeshiva education is either not available or does not meet the needs of their children. Joining us today is a special guest, Rabbi Shlomo Milstein, founder and Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Ne'er Eliezer, formerly known as Yeshiva Ar-Eliezer. Originally intended for Russian immigrant families in the early 90s, the Yeshiva has since developed into a school for Jewish youth who do not fit into mainstream Yeshivas. Thank you, Rabbi Milstein, for graciously giving of your time to join us on New York Currents. Um, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background.
1: Uh, first of all, I want to thank you, uh, Glenn, and Antonio uh, for having me on your podcast, uh, and I'd be more than happy to share some time with you. Um, if you want to about my background, as far as you know, family is concerned, uh, I come from Holocaust survivors. Uh, after the war, they settled, obviously, in the United States of America, and they came to New York, and at that time, people were very close to each other, Um, uh, weren't many survivors of families, so there was a natural feeling of kinship between, you know, families that survival, of course, a third cousin or a second cousin could have been like uh, an uncle or an aunt in today's terms. So they were very close, and therefore, uh, I feel that from my parents' side, they settled. Uh, they were first in France, but then they settled in Brighton Beach. My father, uh, first all, he uh, served in the shore and the shamis, and then he became a rabbi of on the shore in Brighton. But the thing was that with many different people, you know, from different backgrounds, that came because, like I said one of the many survivors of Europe, so they felt all the close with attention there. And therefore, I, they, I think they inculcated me with the feeling that every Jew is family. And no matter what what spectrum he came from, whatever background he came from, every Jew was considered family. And so it would not be uh, uncommon to have, during a Pesach Seder, right, a large number of people come to our home. And from different backgrounds, some we, we were kids we never met never met them before, certainly you know, they'd come in and under various backgrounds different backgrounds, and we all share the status together and we never felt and we never felt like it was something different uh unusual uh we never felt uh that it it all felt like uh family they all because my parents made them feel like family my parents and i uh I was uh, fortunate enough that my grandparents, maternal grandparents, uh, did survive the war, did survive as well, and we just all share it with uh, people from all walks of life, uh, all Jewish people folks from different walks of life, and just to come in. And I think that's what Tommy started really again, to understand, to respect people for what they are, who they are, and uh, to feel that one Jew is uh, responsible to help another Jew.
0: So you feel that your experiences in um, having interactions with Jews who are not who are not not particularly observant made you made you maybe made you able to deal with them in a non-judgmental, accepting way? And would you say that that paved your way to entering the field of Jewish outreach? I,
1: I think I think that was very key. I think it's very key that uh, we we were able to we saw our parents, witness our parents and grandparents. By the way, again. Certain grandparents who survived the war, that they how they interacted with Jews, even if they were not, uh, you know, Orthodox. Okay, they were not Orthodox, but they they brought them in. That was the first outreach which we actually experienced as, as children, and uh, and by by the way they were treated as guests, honored guests with great respect, that made an impression
0: on us. When did you decide to enter the field of education in general?
1: So well, again, uh, my parents were very influential in that. In that my father was a Rebbe, he was a Hebrew teacher, a Rebbe. He taught by middle lessons. Again, that was sort of outreach because they were not religious. The uh, and the students he had, some families that were not religious, he taught them by middle lessons with compliments sometimes we get the friends some of them some of these uh, uh children sometimes or in involved. Uh, so that uh, that uh, then my father went into the field of education into levy for quite a number of years and uh I think that encouraged us to follow his footsteps right and to out that outreach and an education as well.
0: That's they sound like amazing role models, who, you know. Your family and people who, um, aside from family, um, were the relationships you had with your own rabbi and your own teachers. Did that influence you in your decision to go into education as well?
1: Absolutely, for sure. The experiences you know I had in school in yeshiva. I was a young yeshiva student. Uh, you read these I had you know, there's always teachers or reves. there's always you know, you look at everyone has their methodology and how to teach not to give over information to young children. Okay, so what you do is the ones that you felt the that became your role models are the ones that were able to connect. Okay, they were able to connect and uh, they they whatever they did, they the transmission of their you know of the lesson were made very enjoyable, we enjoyed it actually. And that became my role model to pick out some Rebe these teachers that were able to connect with their students and therefore they will give them over in a in a in a wonderful way uh the information and in a warm way. And that was from childhood on, at least those teachers, those reviews definitely had an influence. Uh as well as people I worked with for years. Wood and Camp uh Monk, as Campbell Kent Monk. Uh particularly Camp Monk. Of course there I got to know some great educators. Uh Rabbi uh Jack Goldman, uh Blessed like Memory, as well as Rabbi David Trank, of oh, Blessed oh, bless Memory. Uh there were others also. I you know, I might deal with some others, but they were actually, they were very positive, you know, educators. And uh, that informed me as well in my methodology how to reach out to students. Uh, They were amazing. They were truly amazing. So all these things—rebbes, teachers, camp, working with various people for an education—all these—all these these things had influence. And uh, actually, uh, I tried to—I tried to grasp whatever I could. You know, I I positive positive message they were giving out and how they were doing it, I tried to apply it. And uh it worked. It worked it had to work with me personally because part of I had a great uh connection with my revenue, right? So I figured this method worked. We should use this method. And taking it from not just one or one sure or one educator, but taking the good things from a few and learning from a few and applying them I think that was very successful, of course, with God's help. Uh, that was extremely successful in connecting uh, with these students.
0: Did you find there was any difference between um, like, have, uh, being able to bridge a gap between how the rabbis would treat seasoned um, Talmud students such as yourself and how that relates to being able to reach out to children who do not come from that kind of background? Um, Or would you say that there's a a universal language of love and warmth that that just exudes when you're educating?
1: I uh, I would say, well, what you said, I think the latter part of what you said is very true. In other words, generally speaking, okay, of course, uh, human beings are different from one another. Children are different from one another. We know that, generally speaking. But there are things that you said are universal. And they work for almost almost every child. The child will feel that you care for him or her. The child will feel that he has that sensitivity. So, therefore, if you're gonna, you know, if, if you fly, and it goes to every child, it makes a difference if you come from a religious background or non-religious background. If the child knows if you're really interested in helping him, okay, or you just uh, punch in the clock and. Doing a job, and that's it. The child still that when a child feels that that still care for, still respond in kind, and that's universal. That's quite universal. Of course, the methodologies of reaching, or at least well the information being given over to the students, that that has to be important to the student. How you give it over has to be given, has to be given to each student because each student has a personality, character, and you try to reach them. But you almost have to be like a therapist or a psychologist, or someone, okay, to understand how to reach that child and how to show the child that you really care and build up
0: the confidence. That actually brings me to my next question. Um, since you started teaching in, I believe, the late, eight, late, late 1980s, uh, isn't there a great disparity between the way children were back then versus the way they are in our time? And if so, how how do you how did it change? How did the methodologies change in the past four decades?
1: Okay. Now, what I feel, the 80s, I feel the 90s, and then into the twenty first century. I feel that uh, generally, again, like I said before, uh, to reach a child, show that it's here, it's universal, and it's timeless. Okay, it's timeless. and therefore uh you have to use uh the caring and everything to reach the child it makes a difference in every generation it makes a difference in that however of course obviously uh children, children today are supposed to much more things uh diversions we'll say than they were in the 80s okay the 80s 90s so okay we have to work the, you know, with the times, work in a certain sense with the times, in a positive way, has been a positive way, to reach the children, to reach the students, okay, and to try and sort of not give the impression that you are coming from the 1980s that you you teaching in 2021, okay? You don't want to give the impression that you're old-fashioned, and you're going back to what it was, and you're still using that and applying that. You you want to show that you are current, you're contemporary, the you're up-to-date with the students that are today. Your approaches might be in a more, you know, uh, more uh, in a more technological way, okay, using technology that didn't happen in the 1980s, okay. But to reach, to try and reach the students, and I think uh, that's the only difference. Where you, you try to you show your current. You don't want to show that you're a 1980s person teaching. And, it was, and 2021 students. You want to show that you're current, and it's a bound, it's a bound, because you still want to give over traditional things. But that's for sure you want to give over traditional things. Uh, but again, the way you do that, you have to understand that things change, and perhaps their span of attention might be a little shorter than it was in 1980. Okay, so you have to work with that. But as far as generally showing they carry, that applies. It makes a difference what right year that is, but based the 90s, or, like I said, 2021. Caring, loving, like you said, uh, that's very important.
0: Can it be described in, in the Talmudic axiom of old wine and new vessel?
1: Interesting. An uh, old wine and a new vessel. You know, old wine improves with time that we know. Giving it over in a a contemporary way, okay, giving, obviously, when you're teaching Torah, you're you're teaching old wine. You're teaching 4,000-year-old wine, right? And and you have to teach over in the way that it should be sweet and accepting, you know, accepting by the students. So, um, yeah, there's ways of giving over things of tradition, traditional things, right? Okay, keeping it over in a contemporary way, in a contemporary way that the students should, should accept it. Uh, I think that's very, that important. So they know, they know that, they understand that you understand them. If you understand the 1980s, you understand the 2020s, then you're not going to reach them. So if you understand the 1980s and you understand the 2020s, then, uh, of course, again, with caring,
0: Will reach them. Um, yes, it has to be a different method that almost every single
1: student, every single child, every student, it has. To, the approach has to be almost careless made to that person.
0: Does that sometimes include using modern technologies such as video um, instruction?
1: Well, I'll tell you right now. Uh, the last two years, it's quite obvious that you need the modern technology to reach the students. 'cause because of COVID and because of zooming, because we couldn't teach, you know, in the building. Okay. So we had to use fine technology in order to you know, not to interrupt the science and be able to continue the studies of the year. So yes, uh yeah, you have to use fine technology to reach your children anyway. And there and it's interesting that obviously there are pitfalls there and there are things you have to watch out for, that's for sure. Okay. But on the other hand, you're a positive thing as well, like presuming that took place during the COVID, and like trying to be uh, able to reach many more people than you used to reach that during the course of the day. Of course,
0: lesson. you've let them over, you know, uh, a computer or. As I understand it, the yeshiva transitioned from being primarily focused on outreach, specifically to the Russian immigrant community. Following the fall of the Soviet Union, um, to its current uh, its current general mission of providing education for children who are not um, able to to function properly in mainstream yeshivas. Uh, can you can you tell us tell our listeners why, uh, how that changed? Was it because of changing demographics, or was it because of other 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 circumstances?
1: When, you, when did we start? when did we get started, when we began, started. Uh, of course, like you said, uh, the Iron Curtain opened up and many uh, uh, Jewish people started to get out of Russia. They came here. The questions were at that time how educated, how to bring it to Russia. They came here. Which is this question, according to the was there's a big extent how this, and could uh, we handle it? And what was their. And was there any interest in going to Yeshiva at all? Okay, so th- those were questions at that time. Uh, there was a meeting, as far as I'm just recalling the story. In that so that with, uh when with Yaakov came that was back the state right? And they met, the people met, and then before hours before Yeshiva, okay. And people met with them, and they were talking about the Russians are coming in. Young, you know, children coming in from like, Russia. To that is coming in, and we have to provide Yeshiva to them. And the question was, where are we going to put them? That? that was the question of uh, the time. Uh, and the Akashameti, I have said, more correctly, I suggested, okay, we have to build buildings, and we have to expand our Yeshiva so cabinets, or whatever it was, to admit, we have to, do, to be able to build uh, it. The Russian children have all come to Yeshiva, and uh, it was. Uh, back and forth, how students, is? He says, well, you can have to, you know, you have to stop building. well, oh, okay. And what was sort of that point was that he meant that the current will build for their students that they had, and they'll have room in their buildings, all the buildings for the Russians. And the Russian that that's not what it's just what I they call. Uh, I don't know how, 100 accurate. Exactly. What I'm saying but just the gist of it. And he said, no, no, no. When I say new buildings, I don't mean for the uh now. I mean for the Russians that come in. They have that they have that everything up to date And the reason is because oh of, because they have a choice. Then they don't have any religious background at all in Russia of course. So they're gonna see public if they see an old building they keep, uh public up to date, you know, laboratories and all the things that they have, libraries they're going to go into the public. because You know, we have to be tracking for them. He says, The buildings have to be for them. That was uh Kamnesky's, I think, a Godelazar, someone was the leader of generation, to come up with that idea that we have, to, and he understood that Genesis. Well, Yakov Rodak could have been, also was probably from that part of the world as well originally. So he understood, he understood the cycle, he understood that they're not going to come to the buildings you'll say, oh, it's the chief education. The chief education is not going to draw the Russians. OK, they're not that far. They're looking for secular education. But they are looking for something that looks nice, something that's acceptable to them, and, uh, you know, competing with public education. I mean, that's what they're looking for. That's why they made, uh, you know, Beragola, they have beautiful buildings, uh, et cetera. These schools opened up, and with all modern technology, computers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera draw the Russians, So that was the message of joining uh, Russian, Russian students to come in. Was it successful? Any, if, you, if you were educated and you were able to uh, give over the religion, people want Russian students It were successful, but they gave it over to hundreds. It worked. It actually worked. And uh, generally speaking, when the al opened up, okay, so it, it actually opened up on the back of another yeshiva that closed down in, uh, at the beginning of the term was November it closed, that yeshiva closed down for lack of funds whatever it was uh, and there was a lack of funds there they had to close down and uh, I was teaching that yeshiva and I was called by a very kashur, very important uh, rabbi from Russia he didn't call me Russia, he was American he had his own yeshiva by the way they called me and said, if you don't do something about this, they're all going to leave yeshiva. The they won't even know they're not going to yeshiva ever again, because yeshiva closed down And so, I okay, after I had a meeting with the staff at that time, I was just arrested. I was just with it. I didn't have anything to do with it specifically It didn't have anything to do with yeshiva. You know, nothing. I was just arrested. And I and they were they were they agreed that they would try and continue the Shiva. And so we let the kids and that we're going to try to continue and most of the kids left. That's the truth. But some stayed. I guess we we able to send some terrorists believe that at least some the end of the year here. Some left afterwards, some stayed on the next year. And so it happened that we have our, our Shiva was on the back of that issue. It was like I I to make my own school or it was I was told yes by people to do it in order to help save these these uh children' uh from leaving Ishma. and that's what happened and that from then on it so we came we, we tried we when we tried to have the best teachers we had regular band, we had the best teachers we had the, the of time, uh the best science teachers doing uh. So you know, particularly very, very good. They were from Russia, they spoke Russia, I was the headmaster of a math school in Russia, and she came in and we can't go. Uh, so that's how our school is born from the ashes of the other school societies. That's how kind our of school is born. And the people, these people told me, you know, uh, why are you doing this I, I don't know why you have people asking me. And they said, you're not going to support the school, which was partially true. Okay. However, you know, people tell me that the going will impose that anyway because it's not going to have the economics to get uh, open. And what happened was, for 27 years later, it was still open. So by the grace of Hashem, say the grace of God, okay, there's definitely a miracle for us, at least we retail a miracle. And she was still in operation. Even though know, people, the bleak, you know, with the future, was very bleak. The the uh, predictions we got were very bleak. I think people all along the way, that were encouraging, very encouraging, and we were able to, so that, and then we started to evolve. Yeah, we had Russians, okay, they can do that for so many years, right? And then, demographically, things started to change, okay, they started to change. Uh, Russians were settling in, uh, they were finding other tools, or finding Um Unfortunately, some uh, didn't go these yashivas, and uh, we, again, the methodology we used with the Russians who didn't have a strong background, okay, in any type of virtual studies, a movie study, right? Uh we sourced a lot of materials to them. But they were very interesting. You have to understand that the background they came from uh, very much encouraged education. In Soviet Union, uh education was very, very encouraging. You know, to go to school, to go uh, high school and uh, both universities, especially central, So the, kids, the children were motivated education and teaching them. But the truth is, this is their first taste and the first taste of learning tomorrow. Almost, okay, which in itself, which in itself is a tremendous, uh, it, 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 it's a tremendous uh, subject for people who have an analytical mind. Okay. You know that now like, you know. okay, they had analytical minds. And Russians do have analytic they were men. And, and so uh, it was it was eye opening to them. It was very eye and Stone really responded nicely. I have to say. Uh, I think almost that was the very big. Stone responded really nice. Evolved. And evolved had as demographics change as the school itself changed in certain ways. Okay, difference from the body. But nevertheless, the things that worked then, believe it or not the word today okay motivated students so now okay now that we're in a, a I, 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 I like I don't like to call kids of risk people call kids risk. I don't like because I know the kids The they're, they're wonderful, wonderful are great but uh, there are students that like you said do not fit into a mainstream teacher. we have 40 students or 35 in one class Okay? And the Rebbe cannot give uh, appropriate attention that this student needs. Okay? And they, and they get lost. And they get lost results. We had a student that came into the school, GSO, who was turned down by many mainstream machines. He come, came from a religion family, and yet he was turned down. He had a problem, a little bit of a problem, of reading Hebrew. Okay? And yeshiva's helped. You know, he's going to high school, they're, uh, they're on a more advanced level. I yeah, thought I'm really happy to the truth is that uh of course we took a bit took him in. And the truth is that he had a tremendous mind, you know, analytical, he was intelligent, and he loved to learn. That's the truth. I mean was she was out there was and he really, really blocked. He blocked so much today yeah, I I someone just told me recently that he's giving like a couple young, he's still young, relatively young, but he's getting his class in one of the
0: other issues today. So he went from being a rejected by mainstream schools to being a teacher in his own right.
1: Right, I don't know about teaching, I know he has a group, he has a lecture group, which he gives at night. This is what someone told me, Some recently come with that, very recently. Yeah, I didn't know about that, you know, I just spoke to that, he's a long guy, a few years out of our school. And I just wasn't recently, he didn't tell me that, but someone else told me that. And it's just wonderful to hear that, to see that. But the tragedy is that these turned them down. And what could have happened is, you can turn off somebody that way, a person comes depressed, he doesn't have any kind of self-confidence, and that kills him. right? And that really hurts him. you know, to get back his self-confidence. Because people, like you said, he was rejected. Uh, we have stories, we have many, a uh, few stories like that. And there was, it was what comes to mind. Another uh, one, one student that came to us, and, uh, you know, he came with his parents for an interview. And it's like, it's, it's, yeah, he, he, tell, he tells his parents, what am I doing here? His parents what do you mean? You, you, you have yeah, the interview. Said, this is the fifth interview. Four schools already turned me down. What am I going here for? He, 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 he think about that. What effect that that had on the child? What effect did that have on psychological? So of course we told them no, we're the he came to us graduate.
0: Would you say that the typical at-risk behavior and um, issues involved therein is a result of being rejected by 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 schools?
1: Now again, you can't paint things with a broad brush and say this is a situation for everybody who you know. who are depressed or don't have confidence, I don't know. But there are certainly students that have been rejected, okay? And that that hurt their confidence so much. That it was so difficult for them. And I don't know if, that was, if they could recover from it unless you give it, someone gives it to them back.
0: Well, thankfully, we have schools like yours that give children a chance. Um, every Jewish child indeed deserves a chance. Every child in general deserves a chance. Um, before, y- y- you mentioned a meeting between leading rabbinic figures uh, in terms of how to deal with the incoming Russian immigration situation. Um, w- were you in close contact with any such rabbinic figures when you started uh, the yeshiva?
1: Okay, so uh, the truth is that, of course, when I saw the that, that predates that, that I, yeah, I wasn't involved with in education at that time. I just read the uh, the story. But, uh, yes, there were a few people that actually, uh, Recibel Cohen, who used to be, I think he went to, he retired, and married can now. But I think Recibel Cohen encouraged me, actually. And, you know, As a matter of fact, uh uh became very active on behalf of me. Okay, very active when you he heard about the shooting, he was Of course, we're always struggling financially. So, when he heard about it, so we we, we met in his house uh, so more than once. Okay, we had a, a meeting uh, that board of directors, advisory board, in his house. And uh, he encouraged the shooter because uh, there were people that wanted to be business people that makes no financial sense. Uh, I don't mean as a pun, but it, it did not. 'cause you're taking kids who aren't paying tuition because they if they pay tuition they wouldn't be going right, they wouldn't come to Yeshiva. These families that aren't used to paying tuition education, paying anything. So Rent encouraged us actually and he actually made phone calls for certain people to try and get funding uh, for Yeshiva. So he was very close to Yeshiva. Also, uh he bought all the time many, many good healthy years, which will come in. It. And I, was told, I went through a number of times uh we spoke to him uh other other great uh rabbis from about the Shechter of in very mouth and know some about too he used to go there twice a week to learn. and uh Rabbi fo a Boyer, who was with uh Ram mon he control now exactly he with like now, so he was very influential in the issue. I used to go to him at this cousin with with Robert foyer as well. You have Shabbat phones You said Yeshiva for months, and it was how Shabbat phone, It became very important to the other So yes, there was uh, uh, quite a few political figures that got involved.
0: Um, looking forward, what do you think the direction Yeshiva is going in right now?
1: Great question. Right now, I think there's. There's, there's two, there's a two-fold thing right now. And, you know, I, we started recently, and as you know, we started to try to organize the alumni of the school. We know that over the 27 years of the yeshiva, we figured between four to 500 students went to the yeshiva. At one time, or another. That's a lot of alumni. And you know, it's interesting, when you start with speaking the alumni, these, it's interesting that they look back at their years in Yeshiva as the most joyful and happy years that they had, you know, it the springboard up, I guess, when we got married, of course, whatever it is, and they look back at it, and it would touch fun. And I want to develop that part, to be able to develop programs for some of the alumni who will be interested would still like to be part, you know, of the, of the Torah studies of the Yeshiva. We would enjoy that, okay, you that over. And then again, looking into, uh, you know, the future for students, as far as students are concerned, we are there for students uh, that are having a hard time making Yeshiva. Students that are interested, you know, would like that, which education, but they can't afford it, as soon as that, their parents like a, to leave public school, to leave uh, public education, which has become very distant from religion, as we know, because of the separation of church and state. So we know that uh, you're not going to get much of a religious education at any public school. That's uh, impossible. So we want to carry to those, those children, those families. So we feel that's very important. We feel also it's important We have done the past, to develop a uh, very solid connection to not just the students, but the family of the the parents. I find that sometimes they can use help to you know, as work comes together with them. I think that's important because then you look at the whole picture. Sometimes, if you take just the students themselves, right? And you try to bring them closer to Torah studies, more traditional life, and you don't have the parents with you, so it's a big challenge, it's a big challenge, so as you get the parents also to to look with great favor and see how beautiful Judaism is, because it is very beautiful, we know that, those people with practice Judaism know how beautiful it is, you know, that's that helps get the whole family involved and it helps the students as well. So, these are certain goals we would like to do alumni, work on families, and work on students. Uh, and hopefully, with God's help, we hope that uh, uh, we you will know, we'll accomplish it working together. Again, working with alumni also. Alumni very much you want very much to be part of the ongoing school that we have now.
0: Yes, I, I can personally attest to um, to your ability to impart Judaism to entire families um, because you're very close to my family and and myself uh, for old, for many ever, ever since I've been a student of yours and my entire family, including my then 80 year old grandfather, became observant um, m- almost entirely because of of your influence. So I think that speaks volumes as to your enthusiasm, your ability, and your passion to spread Judaism to anyone. As you remember, I was a—I was not a very easy kid to deal with either.
1: So, <laughs> well, one thing you had in your favor, intelligence. Okay, and that helps a lot when you're learning about Judaism and you learn in depth, more in depth. That appeals to people like you who had, you know, who have intelligence who, you know, they want to come, they want to learn, they want to know why. They They look for the truth, and they seriously look for the truth. And, and you know, I can't take credit for all that. I can only serve it. You have to eat it. In other words, I can try and serve it, whichever way possible, I try to do it, reach students, to reach them, right? To reach them, that's what we try to do. But they make the decision. You know, it's a fork in the road, they go right or left, it's up to them. Okay, and therefore, I have to give the people, you, yourself, your parents, your, 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 your grandfather, all the credit of the world for making difficult choices. And it is difficult choices because when you're living your life in one way, right, you know, and you've been always brought up this way, and then you would taught, you know, cognitive kind of incidents, you're taught all of a sudden something else, and you realize that that's the proper way, it's very hard to change. It is very hard to change. Most people won't. That's why I give all the credit to those students and to those families that really changed their lives. And the truth is, I don't think any of those families ever regretted it.
0: Um, do you have any final words to families that are interested in pursuing a Jewish education but are not quite convinced yet?
1: And finally, you know, I. There's no there's words are ongoing. No final. Okay. No final words. And there's no word that works like magic, excellent, to bring in families all of a sudden. I can only encourage people to look around. To really and not topically. Look into things in depth. Topically, you're not gonna find it. You're just not gonna find Judaism true more sweet Judaism and look at it topically. Okay, you have to look that. you have to really search it out. You have to see and not accept, and not accept the, uh, the public image that the secular or the news, uh, you know, media gives to these people. You have to understand that important. I'll Although so just one anecdote, it doesn't pertain to the school at all. Uh, I went to Toronto, my wife was in Toronto, we have friends there. And I'm sitting next to someone who's in a short who discovered Judaism. Became religious. Come the It's not the priest. I sit next to him, and I I asked him. I said, you know, where do you live? Where would you come to? Not from Toronto. I said you're from Toronto there. and Toronto has a, a very you know, beautiful uh, uh, Jewish, uh, you know, a, a religious um, uh, population, and very there are a lot of beautiful Jewish communities in Toronto, and. I asked him, I said, so what? He says, I never noticed I said, Did you see this you, you know when you're brought up, did you see them? He says, You know something? I'll tell you the truth, that I never noticed it. Yes, they're all around. They're all my neighbors, but I never noticed it. I never could notice them. Only after I needed something and I got my neighbor and then my neighbor, I was introduced and then I found oh he's so nice, and so kind, oh of and I became drawn to it he told me. And then he saw the beauty and looked into it in depth. So you can be standing around the Jewish community all, all your own, and not see anything unless you really look into it. That's what I'm saying that don't accept what you hear you know in the media, what you hear all around. look into it. The Jewish communities are beautiful. every community that I know, okay You know you know that uh, that I told you I take in we took in from all, we took families from all spectrum of Jewish life, but whether it be the Hasidim. Whether it be the Yeshivisha people, whether it be the all orthodox whether all the Orthodox, the shuls that they go, the charity they give, the chesed that they do for one another, it, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And that's what you look into. That's what you see. And if you look into it long enough, and you take an active interest in it, you'll be drawn to it. And it'll change your life in the most wonderful way. In the most wonderful way.
0: Yes, it's really sad that the main, that the non-Jewish media and even even the Jewish media that's not religious uh, seems to enjoy painting the religious community in an extremely negative light. And um, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, when people look beyond the superficial, oh, they look so backward, they dress so weird, and they, you know, when people look beyond that and they start seeing the the depth, like you said, the depth of the community and what what we're all about. It makes a tremendous impact on people, and that's that's what got me interested as well, um, because uh, I, I didn't I wasn't interested in the externals when I came to the school. Uh, you exposed me to rigorous, rigorous intellectual study, and that made me see that no, you know, religion is not backward. Religion is not. For um, people who who don't want to think and they want to just believe in things, you know, people, I see that religious Jews are thinking people, and everything everything we do revolves around having having intention, having thought, having a thought process. So um, that that back to a famous saying of, of the sages that one learns the most from their students than anyone else, even more from, more so than from their teachers. Um I'm wondering what can can you share with with, with our listeners uh, an anecdote or a story about um a, a different student <laughs> besides me
1: Okay yeah absolutely absolutely uh one stands out are many stories that stand that's the truth but we don't have that much time but let me give you one story and this story goes back a number of years we had a stu- had a student that came in he was from public school he was from public school and he was an avid baseball fan as well as player. He loved to play. he played for a little league so he he was at that time he was twelve or thirteen years old. He played for little league and he was very avid and he came in and he told me and he asked me and he asked me he said you know i actually you know he asked me is there a any you know i love to play baseball is there any shiva have any outlet for this activity of playing baseball?" there's not really much the truth is I found there was one but I asked him who do you play for now so he told me he told me he played for a place called Holy Spirit in, in Hebrew it translates to Hakodesh.
0: but <laughs> this was definitely not a Hebrew <laughs>
1: it was Holy Spirit it was one of the few churches in Borough Park but it's called the Church of Holy Spirit and that's what we played for he was the, I had the position of catcher at the team, and he loved to play. And now he came to Yeshiva. And, and he asked me, you know, do you have anything to alternate for me? Because uh, I play for Holy Spirit. I said, you can't play for Holy Spirit. I, I, you know, it's a church. How do you play for a church? You're Jewish, how can you play for a church? So he said, you know, but I love to play. So I have to give Young Israel a lot of credit for it because Young Israel did have a league. Young Israel. Young Israel did have a league, and they had a hardball league. And what I do is I call them, and I ask if they would accept him, you know, as part as a team. And they said, you know, I told them the circumstances. They said, okay, for sure. And they accepted him. And I would I drive him actually Friday, the long Fridays, summer Fridays. You know, when they got, as the, as the Fridays got longer, days got longer. to practice in Queens. And I dropped off. Now, he was, you know, he's talking about the Schultz teams, the NACAC professional teams, the Schultz teams. But he was like a, a semi-professional almost. You can't call him that. He was a 13-year-old, very strong. And he was very good. You know, the kids weren't used to him. And when they when they got up, they hit. Okay, I didn't stay for too long for practice. He got, his mother picked him up to take him home. And he hit the ball way over very far over there and they couldn't. Years later, I think it was two or three years, okay, he came to Shiva. I have to say today, okay, today he's married. He's from. He learned in one year Shiva's married to Israel for a year or two. And amazing, amazing story, amazing turnaround story, what I can't tell you. But the little thing was, the anecdote is and the anecdote is is that Uh, I met the coach of that team, I met the coach of that team uh, like two or three years later. Uh, My son was going to Israel, I was at the airport, Newark airport, I remember like today, the coach came, the coach came to me, he said, he introduced himself, he said I was the coach of that team that you brought this boy there, I want to thank you, I want to thank you so much for bringing him. I said, I said why? He says, we went on to win the championship of that year because of this kid. Because he was able to hit the all over. How the fuck? Uh, it was great. You know, we got but t- t- This, He's not a kid anymore. He's a young man. This young man is a Shavatar Mitzvah today. He learned. He's called to eat them Amazing story.
0: So that, that goes yeah. back to the idea of having to reach children on their level. Because if, right. you, if you would have imposed um, standards of why do you want to play baseball for? Who needs it? It probably that's wouldn't. Right. It probably wouldn't have worked.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You have to appreciate what they want and what will attract them. You work in those parameters. You work with them, and Baruch Hashem, it worked. It worked. Uh, that's okay. That's the anecdote that comes to mind. But there are many others. That's the truth. Besides yourself, there are many, many others that really that uh, that came into the school, and we were worried about them. I have to give someone. Uh, okay, I, I feel bad because I admit it, and I, uh, it would be right. This uh, is Sharon Hackman. Did so much for the school. She was the principal for 18 years, and she really raised the confidence of students, students that we felt that when they came in, we thought. Ah, what's going to be with them. You know, uh, they come from the background, but they went on. just went on to learn in Israel. They went to college. We have uh, professors. We have lawyers. They, we have doctors. Believe it or not, we have all professions that came from our school. And I have to give her credit. She, she was the one that really uh, established the level of school.
0: Yeah, I can also personally attest to Mrs. Hagler's um abilities, because my mother was convinced uh to put me in the yeshiva because she felt I would be taken care of by a motherly figure um as Mrs. Tagler was in the school she was very she made my mother feel very comfortable and my parents weren't used to the idea of a a gender separated you know small school and having someone who uh was of her of her background as being a Harvard graduate definitely helped in in my parents' decision to put me in yeshiva.
1: Right. That's that's how you reach certain certain people, certain families. That's how you reach. And she was able to reach out that way. And, uh, you know, she gets a lot of credit. She gets a lot of credit for the uh, character of the school. This is David Glenn, producer of New York Currents. We'd like to once again thank Rabbi Milstein for giving some of his valuable time to us. And we'd like to hear from you what you think of the interview or anything that you've heard uh, on New York Currents. Also, if you have suggestions for future topics or interviews, please let us know. You can call us at 917-755-6971 or email us at nycurrents at com. That's n y c u r r e n t s at gmail com